Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 6, verses 46 through 49. This is found on page 838 in your pew Bible if you'd like to follow along with me. But before I read that, I invite you to bow your heads and join me in prayer. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we come to you now with open hearts, hopeful to hear your word. We pray by the grace of your spirit that the words we hear and the thoughts of our hearts will lead us to your will for all of us as your church and for each of us as your children. Dear God, we love you. We thank you for your love. Amen. So again, Luke chapter 6, beginning with verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? I will show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my words, and acts on them. That one is like a man building a house who dug deeply and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood arose, the river burst against the house but could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not act is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the river burst against it, immediately it fell, and great was the ruin of that house. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. In 1992, when I was in middle school, my childhood church celebrated its 150th anniversary, its sesquicentennial, 150 years of serving the community there in Greer, South Carolina, where I grew up. As you might imagine, it was a pretty big celebration for our little church and our little town. We had lots of celebrations planned on that Sunday. We had a, a big family church supper right after church was over. We did a, a reenactment of the founding of the church where our, our children dressed up in, in clothes from the 1840s. And, and uh, we even decided to bury a time capsule in 1992 that we could uh, dig up later and, and learn a little bit about what life was like and what our church was like in 1992. We, we buried it and planned to, to dig it up in, in uh, 25 years during the 175th anniversary or maybe even longer than that during the, the 200th anniversary. Well, we didn't have that much patience. And so we decided that after 10 years, we would dig up the time capsule. Many people had grown up like I had and moved away. Other people had, had moved to other churches. Some people had passed away. And, and many people were starting to forget what we put in the time capsule to begin with. Not only that, we were starting to forget exactly where we put the time capsule. And so on our 160th celebration, we all gathered out in the courtyard. We knew it was out in the courtyard near a, a sundial that was out in the middle of the courtyard. A few paces away from it, a couple of elders took some shovels and went out there and, and dug a little hole. And pretty soon we dug a little trench around the sundial trying to find the time capsule that we had put there. But finally, finally we found it. Within the time capsule, we had put a, a bulletin from that Sunday, from the sesquicentennial, a, a copy of the sermon that the, the, the preacher had preached on that Sunday. But the real treasure were letters, 
Letters that every single person who had come to Sunday school 10 years earlier had written to the future church. Letters that we had written to tell people what the church was like and tell people what the church meant to us. I wish I could tell you that your future pastor wrote a very inspirational letter when he was in middle school. As memory serves, what I wrote was, my name is, dear future church, my name is Brad Clayton. I am in Horace and Nancy Jones's Sunday school class. I am a straight A student, and I came to Sunday school today, and my brother did not. <laughs> but I am proud to say that there were many other people who wrote very inspirational letters, letters about how it was this church that taught them about Jesus Christ. It was this church that had helped them through troubled times when a member of their family had passed away, or this church who had been through troubled times itself but stirred, stood firm and, and held together. It was this church that taught them all about the gospel of Jesus. And in fact, the pastor at the time, Ed McLeod, wrote a letter that said that he hoped whenever someone found this time capsule that the church would still be preaching the gospel and sharing God's love the way our church was back in 1992. We dug down and we found this treasure of a deep and abiding faith. In the parable that Jesus tells us this morning, he gives us a similar challenge he says, if you could dig down deep into your faith, what would you find? Would you find a strong, abiding faith that can stand the test of time? Or would you find a faith that could easily be washed away when times get tough? This parable in the Gospel of Luke is sort of an abridged version of the parable that we see in the Gospel of Matthew. And that parable in the Gospel of Matthew comes right at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. This long, famous sermon that Jesus preaches, telling people things that they're supposed to do with their lives, how they're supposed to follow in the path of Christ, but also words of compassion, words of encouragement, and words of challenge. At the end of that whole sermon, and he gives this parable, this parable of a man who goes and builds his house, but he wants the house to stand firm, and so he digs down deep until he finds that solid rock, and he builds his house on that solid rock so that when the waters come, when the, when the floods come, and the winds blow, the house can stand strong against those difficult times. But another person chooses not to dig down, just puts that house on the sand, and so when the floods come, the house washes away. Jesus points to these two people and says that we should have a faith that is built on that solid rock, that solid foundation that we can trust. That if your house, that your life, that your faith, that everything in your life is built on that solid foundation that you can trust, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we can stand the test of time. In good times and in bad, that those promises of God will hold us firm, even when the going gets tough. In my studies of, of family systems and church, family, 
church systems, I've learned that really healthy systems are those systems that can stand through tough times. It's not churches or not families or not even our bodies that avoid pain and avoid suffering or avoid difficult times. No, those aren't the the healthy churches, the healthy people. The healthiest ones are the ones that can face tough times, that can face the wind, that can face the waves, that can face the difficulties of this life and still stand strong that have resilience, all because that foundation is firm. That's what Jesus Christ tells us, that when the waves come and the wind blows, that the foundation of Jesus Christ will, will not fall, that God's steadfast love endures forever. And I believe wholeheartedly that that's why this church is still standing even now. You think back to the past couple of years, I'm going to tell you, when I was in seminary, they didn't have a class on pandemics. They didn't have a class on how to continue to worship when you shut down your sanctuary for eight months. They didn't have a class on how to do pastoral care when you can't go to the hospital or can't go visit people in their homes. But now here in 2022, our children are back singing in our sanctuary. We have retreats that we're doing all year long. We're reaching out and we have as many partners as as we've had since I've been here, community partners that we're, we're working with to try to make our community better. How did we get through that time? I promise you, it was not because of me. It was because this church stands on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ, that we trust in God and we hold on to God. We dig deep into that foundation when times get tough so that when the wind blows and the waters rise, we're still standing. And that's not only the case for a church, but it's the case for each of God's people too. When we face difficult times in our life, when we face things that challenge our faith, that push us and and teach us about our own mortality, we can remember once again that God's foundation is firm, that God does not let us go. I told you this story at Easter a couple of years ago. You may not have realized it was about my family, but um, when my mother was 10 years old, her father passed away. He had had intestinal cancer and had been sick for a long time. And she was at school at the time, the day that he had passed away. And my uh, cousin, my, we call her Aunt Betty, came to pick my mother up at school. Betty was so worried because she knew my mom, Elizabeth, was going to ask her what was going on with her dad. Was her daddy okay? She was trying to figure out how she was going to answer that question. And sure enough, when she pulled into the school and Elizabeth got in the car, the first thing she said is, how is my daddy? Betty thought for a minute about the promises of heaven, about the promise of Jesus Christ, about the promise of eternal life, and she answered, your daddy is just fine. Because that's what happens when we stand firm on the gospel of Jesus Christ, on that firm foundation that holds us in life and in death and in life again. We know that when the winds blow and and the waves rise, we still have a God who has a hold on us and will never let us go because that's the only foundation that we can truly trust in. But here's the key to this passage. You see, when we trust in that foundation, Jesus says we don't have to dig to prove it. 
You might have caught that right at the beginning of the passage. He says, I'm going to show you what it looks like for those people who hear my sermons and then act upon them. He's just preached this long sermon on the mount and says, I'm going to show you what it looks like, not just for those who hear it, but those people who act upon them. If we're standing on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ, then people should be able to tell. To be able to see it by the way that we live, by the way that we move, by the way that we follow God's will, even when it conflicts with our will. The way that we follow God's direction, even when it's a struggle, even when we know it's going to bring strife into our life, even when we know it means we have to make tough choices and tough commitments when we follow God's way and not our way. There's an old Scottish parable I heard years ago from a Scottish preacher, in fact. He tells the story of a little Scottish woman who was traveling across country, and every time she got to an intersection, she threw a stick up into the air, and then she would keep walking on. Finally, she got to a little town, to an intersection, threw the stick up in the air once, threw it in the air twice, threw it in the air three times, and another little old man saw her and came up to her and said, why are you doing that? And she said, well, every time I come to an intersection, I throw the stick up in the air and whichever way the stick points that's the way God is pointing me to go and so then he asked well then why did you throw the stick up in the air three times just a minute ago and she said well the first two times God was pointing in the wrong direction Sometimes our faith is like that. We have a desire to do what God tells us to do. We have a desire to commit our lives to Jesus Christ, but when we get out at those intersections in the world, our will is sometimes too weak. We try again and again until God merges God's will with our will. Jesus Christ says if we're standing on that firm foundation that we should follow where God leads us. We should follow the sermons that Jesus preaches. Not just the words, but to put those words into action. There's an old famous saying. It's by St. Francis of Assisi. You've probably heard it before. It says, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. Well, the the real quote is something along these lines. He said something like this. It's not worth walking anywhere to preach unless your walking is your preaching. Unless your words are backed up by your actions, unless your commitment matches your claims. That's what Fred Craddock thinks Jesus is trying to say with this parable. He says, Jesus' thought went something like this. Those who have heard great preaching, even that of Jesus Himself, but whose lives exhibit no evidence of obedience... Life itself will in time reveal the folly of hearing without doing. When the storms of life hit, the difference between the life of obedience and the life of just listening alone will be dramatically evident. The waves will come. The winds will blow. And we'll get washed away. We thought we were standing on a good foundation but we were trusting too much in ourselves. That's why here, hopefully at this church, when we hear the words of Jesus Christ, we try to follow where Jesus Christ leads us. 
even when it's difficult, even when it's hard, even when it means we have to make tough choices. So you might ask, why do we do so many things for children like our preschool or like working with Seely or trying to start a new partnership so that we can have a a preschool camp next summer for kids who who need year-round care? Well, it's because first, Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Or you might ask, why do we try so hard to feed people with man on meridian when the prices are going up and the need is going up? It's because first Jesus said, whatever you do to the least of these, you do for me. Why do we have tough conversations about race or about gender issues? And why do we try to welcome those people into our church? It's because first Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Why do we try to welcome people into this church? People who drive us crazy. People who think differently than us. People who may really don't believe sometimes the same things that we want them so hardly to believe. It's because Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Why do we forgive people when they don't deserve forgiveness? It's because Jesus, hanging on the cross, said, Forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they're doing. Why do we commit ourselves, our time, our money, our talent to God? It's because first, Jesus Christ committed everything, His life and death and life again to us. If we're standing on that firm foundation, then people should be able to tell not just because we hold on in the storms, but because we keep walking in the storms. And our footsteps are our sermons. In a few moments, we're going to ask you again to commit yourself to the ministry of this church by turning in your pledge card. But I hope you won't just be thinking about 2023. I hope you'll think 10 years down the line, 20 years down the line to those people who will come after us. And they will be wondering, what kind of church was Faith Presbyterian Church back in 2022, 2023? We could all write letters and bury them in the ground, and maybe someday they'll find those letters. That'd be a neat idea. Maybe we should do that someday. But what I hope is that those people won't have to dig. They'll be able to see who we are by the way we treated other people. They'll be able to see who we are by the time and the commitment that we make to Jesus Christ, that we stood up for Jesus Christ by loving our neighbor as ourselves. Today, I hope you'll join me as we commit ourselves once again to the foundation of Jesus Christ. Because after all, it is the only foundation that we can trust. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thankful for Roy Youngblood. He's going to come forward and share a little bit about his commitment to our church today. Three things you should never follow, Animal Acts, Kids, and Brad Clayton. Brad asked if I would share with you why we pledge, why we give, why we return 
a portion of what God has given us. And I could say it's out of habit after 50 years, we do it. It's out of God blessed us so we could bless others. It could be out of obligation as an officer trying to help create a budget for this church. It could be out of common sense and the right to do things. But really, it's what we are and what we do. Here at Faith and through the community and the world, you in the pew and in the balcony and the pulpit and the chancel, you're the reason. We know that we cannot support everything that faith does, but through our pledge, we're joining you and others to do the work here on this corner of John Knox and Meridian. And Lane and I pledge to faith because we cannot by ourselves support all the missions and ministries. One of my dear friends, Chip, was sharing in the Sunday school class about the Moody, or excuse me, movie, Rudy. If you don't know it, you should take time and see Rudy. It's a good movie about a young man who had a great desire to play football for Notre Dame. He wasn't very big and he wasn't very fast, not super talented at throwing or catching or kicking kind of like some of the players on our favorite teams. But he had a desire, and he had lots of questions about his faith. So he went to the priest and asked about his faith, and the priest said, Rudy, I can tell you two absolutes, two things that are truths. Number one, there is a God, a creating sustaining, saving, loving God. And number two, Rudy, it's not me. There is a God and it's not me and it's not we. We cannot be in every place. We can't be in the preschool every day to look in the face of one of those precious child, children and say, Jesus loves you, and so do we. We can't be on every mission trip to Guatemala or New Orleans or South Carolina to serve those people and to say to them, Jesus loves you, and so do we. We can't be in the four-year-old Sunday school class every year for 45 years like Uncle Spencer, saying to those kids, Jesus loves you, and so do we. We can't be on any, all the communications between you and a member of your women of the church circle or the confirmands or your Sunday school class or a counseling session with a family member who's lost a loved one and say to them, Jesus loves you, and so do we. We can't be on every building project with Wayne. Can't go to Montreat every year or serve on every committee at Faith 
thank God for that. <laughs> we can't always usher and serve the meals or fund the many, many opportunities that faith provides and supports the refugees, the homeless, the hungry. But we know that these things happen through Faith Presbyterian Church, and we say to others, Jesus loves you, and so do we. Next year, Brad in his letter asked us to support three specific things. Continue our supporting of Manna on Meridian for 12 years, etc. We've been providing food and groceries to our neighbors. My rough figures say 240,000. <laughs> 240,000 bags of food. We want to reach out, number two, to our neighbors at Trinity Presbyterian Church, a small community church here in town that can use support right now. And number three, we want to keep our building safe and healthy, not only for our church events, but for our neighbors as well. Session received an impressive five-year plan for the upkeep and improvement of this facility, and it takes a lot to keep a 60-year-old building functioning and serving God. Of course, we know there's other places, the pumpkin patch, church office, ushering, the Kearney Center, the marquee signs, the mission trips, rags to bags, and on and on. You get the picture. So Brad, this is gonna be a surprise, but the pledge Elaine and I filled out will not cover the whole 1.5 million. <laughs> but we know that we're not in this alone. We are a part of the body of Christ that is Faith Presbyterian. What you give and what your family pledges is always going to be between you and God. However, if you believe, like us, that God is in this place and that collectively we can say to many who need to hear it, Jesus loves you, and so do we. On our website is the scripture from the letter of Paul to the church at Ephesus, Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who, by the power at work within us, is able to accomplish abundantly far more than we can ask or imagine. Thank you. <laughs>